Billy Joel A to Z podcast, an Altman Juskow production, starring Elon Altman, also starring Dave Juskow, with guest stars Virginia Callahan, Liberty DeVito, special guest star Chevy Chase. Tonight's episode Only the Good Die Young. Welcome to Billy Joel A to Z, where today we finally, excitedly, discuss the song Only the Good Die Young. The legendary Only the Good Die Young is the sixth song off Billy Joel's mega-sensation fifth studio album, The Stranger. Only the Good Die Young was the third single to be released off of the album on May 13, 1978. And on July 8th, 1978, it peaked at number 24 on the Billboard charts. Because if you wanted to go any higher that summer, you'd have to beat out the entire movie Grease, Andy Gibb, not just the other Gibbs, the other Gibb, (laughs) an additional Gibb, (laughs) and Copacabana. Well, good luck running with a dangerous crowd with those goody two-shoes. Am I right? I'm already making the references. On February 18th, 1978, Billy Joel had his first of four appearances on Saturday Night Live, and Only the Good Die Young was the first song he ever performed on the show. And that is how the world met Billy Joel. I'm not counting the Mike Douglas stuff. Alon. <laughs> Good choice. Thank you. This defining Billy Joel song also appears on the album's Kreplach, <laughs> 2000 Years the Millennium Concert, 12 Gardens Live, Live at Chase Stadium, Greatest Hits Volume 1, and the hilarious Liberty DeVito inspired classic reggae version on the crazy My Lives compilation album. Yeah, Liberty loves that one. He sure does. What a dreamboat working with that guy. Well, obviously there are rankings for this, and the question is a really good one. Where do our boys put this legendary, legendary classic? We're not even, what are we, uh, not even uh, selling it short of anything. I mean, this is the real deal. Where does a person like Christopher Bonanos, who's been off and on, up and down, (laughs) all over the place, Out of 121 songs in 2015 in his New York Magazine article, where do you think, Alan Altman, he places a legendary song like Only the Good Die Young? I'm going to guess number six. Alan, I think think a drum roll might be in order. 
It's at number two. Woo. Wow. Bananas. Bananas. None of that sour petulance here. It's a song by a happy warrior in love and romance. Maybe Catholic girls start much too late. Maybe they don't. But either way, it's funny as hell. <laughs> it's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> Where do you think uh, Glenn Gamboa, who we found his number one recently in New York State of Mind, puts this classic Billy Joel song? I'll make the same guess. I'll say six. He puts it at four. They rank it higher than you thought they did. Rock and roll is about rebellion. It's about sex. Only the good die young is rock and roll in its purest, most charismatic state. I love these two blurbs. That's funny. He's like, it's about sex, but it's about a guy who doesn't get sex. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's about a frustrated guy. Uh, I could have written this. Yeah. Anyway, you know, the fans rank this at number eight, which is probably where you and I might put it. Yeah, that was going to be my first guess. I was going to say eight, went with six, because I thought those guys would like it a little bit better. But the point of the matter is, there is no denying that this song is one of those songs, again, that we reach where this is why we do the podcast. It's an absolutely legendary song. Neither of us could deny it. If I did, uh, I would resign myself from this podcast. That would pretty much be the end all for any of our listeners. All right, now he's lost his mind. Uh, this, this is an absolute classic, and it's so much so such an important song Alon, obviously, for, for not just Billy Joe, but for us and our podcast, that there just wasn't enough research I could do to say I'm ready to talk about this song. That's how unbelievably powerful, popular, and important this song is, that even though I have a lot to say, and this may be a longer podcast than most, I still feel unprepared, like I'm missing something that we need to discuss because of its brilliance. Yeah, I feel the same way. I was looking at a lot of different sources, and I never felt like I was getting the full story. I feel like there's still more to learn about it. But it, in a way, maybe it's just so such a perfect song that there is not a lot to learn about it. It just is what it is. It is what it is, and I'll just start off really quickly with my origin story. This is the first song I ever heard from Billy Joel in my life. I was in junior high in 1978, and this is the first 45, which I may have in my storage closet. I, I tried to get my albums out three days before we taped this to see if I have the, I'm, I'm positive I have the original 45. It might have been the first one I purchased myself of Only the Good Die Young. I, I remember having a Beatles 45 like, like with the actual Apple you know, one that my parents or my Aunt Judy got for me mm -hmm. uh, with a Hey Jude on it. But this is the first 45 I think I ever purchased, you know, at a, at a, in a mall, at a Sam Goody's. And when my parents would leave, I would put it on the living room stereo and blast the shit out of it and pretend that I wrote it and I was performing this. This is the one. This is the one that might have changed my life around in the sense I'm like, oh, so this is good music. My parents have been just playing Broadway shows all this time. This is unbelievable. I never heard a song like this. This was real rock and roll to me. You know, we just, you know, I had Barry Manilow, but none of that counted. This was the first endeavor into Billy Joel for me. I can picture you like in Risky Business, just running around your living room dancing to this thing. That is exactly what it was. Until, you know, I discovered I could use instruments as air guitars and stuff. But yes, 
I it was complete risky business. I can picture myself in the living room, you know, blasting it when my parents weren't home, hoping they weren't going to come home. Not that I was doing anything weird, you know, I was just having a good time and playing it real loud and playing it over and over again, not having any idea what it meant. Mostly because I don't think my mother was happy about the fact that, think about this, you know, our our mothers are Jewish. And my mother was upset because they mentioned the word Catholic girls in it. And the thing is, it's it's a little demeaning to Catholic girls. So why would she give a crap if, if it's, a you know, a song about a, a Catholic girls? She's just so upset of the word Catholicism anywhere. <laughs> that 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 it also made the song for me rebellious as it's supposed to be. So it's true rock and roll, and it is truly Dave Jusko's first encounter with actual rock and roll. I this song meant so much to me growing up. I understand where your mom's coming from, you know, because like her whole thing is probably like, I need Dave to marry a nice Jewish girl, and then all of a sudden you're listening to a song that's like, hey, these Catholic girls are pretty hot. That's corrupting. <laughs> yeah, it's worse. It's worse than that, Alan. I wasn't allowed. I had the Partridge, all the Partridge Family albums because they were great. Uh, again, like I said before, Billy Joel. This is what existed in my life and household. And uh, my mother would not let me get to complete the collection the Partridge Family Christmas album. And my friend Joe Messina bought me the Christmas album for my birthday about five years ago. <laughs> now I have it. Finally. <laughs> yeah. But you still can't tell your mom about it. I think I finally told her, and she was like, who cares? I'm like, no, sure, now you do. She's like, are you trying to put me in the grave early? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This also, uh, and I'm sorry, I'll let you talk in a second. I'm sorry, I just have so much to say. because No, more, more remembrances, Dave. So, as you know, he played this song on Saturday Night Live, and of course, I was the perfect age for Saturday Night Live. We all, as a junior high, that's most people, most junior high kids like Saturday Night Live more than most people. Yeah. You know, of regular adult age. They, they're home on Saturdays. They don't go out. And Saturday Night Live is the way to go. And that's where you discover Saturday Night Live. And of course, you know, me discovering it was the original cast and the first time something like that had been done. So it was extra exciting. And I'll never forget when Billy Joel was on. I don't think I saw it first run. But I'll remember, I remember completely the Monday after he was on. And maybe I did see it, but I wasn't paying attention. That everyone was talking about Chevy Chase's opening of how he missed his high school reunion, uh, his 10-year high school reunion to be on the show. The class of 67 from Hicksville High out on Long Island is having their reunion tonight. And one alumnus will not be there because he's here. It's my special guest, ladies and gentlemen, Billy Joel. And everyone was talking about that in school the next day and how goddamn cool that was. And what an unbelievable, cool opening for somebody who's come on the show. And I don't think they've ever done any other kind of opening. That's Chevy Chase saying that, which makes it even better. And I don't think any musician has ever had a better intro than that on Saturday Night Live after it's almost 50 years of being on the air. Right, and also he's like an unknown person. It's not like he's Billy Joel today who might get a special intro like that. He was just some nobody, basically, who had this new song. Uh, so that's a pretty cool intro to get, instead of just the usual, which is, ladies and gentlemen, Billy Joel. Exactly. A new song and a hit album at the time, and that's why I think they went that extra mile. But And also a local boy, so that made it great too, but 
yeah, that everybody was talking about it the next day, and it was really exciting. And so it just, you know, again, it made my, I like, I got to find out more about this guy, you know, what's going on. And I don't think I bought The Stranger. I think I went into the next album, because the next album was like, you know, just like, a, this was 78, so I was pretty, then, then I was, then I think the next 45 I got was my life. Yeah, right. 52nd Street was right around the corner already at this point. Yeah. That SNL performance is great. It's it's really awesome to see him play the song pretty early on in its life cycle and also just how much energy he has with it and to see guys like Richie Cannata doing double duty, playing the organ and then hopping onto the sax for the solo and then back to the organ. Oh, my God. That was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, especially they have that in the old Grey Whistle test, too. Yeah, the poor guy (laughs) had a lot to do. They could just hire one other band member. Isn't that funny? Meanwhile, Billy's like running around. Usually in most performances of this song back in those days, Billy Joel is like one where he actually stands up and dances around for a lot of it. So Kanata's doing like all of the piano stuff. I mean, I guess on organ. Uh, so he's he's uh, allowing Billy Joel to be himself. Yeah, it looks like this is the one he gets up and runs around and Big Shot off 52nd Street are the ones he gets up and gets away from the piano. Meanwhile, when I was looking at the Russian one for the bridge, he's so out of breath and it's you know it's over and that that's the 11th song and then he's got like five more songs after that and and big shots one of them i don't know how he kept it going it's not like he was a super young man when he was doing the bridge thing he's wearing a jacket you know like obviously sweating how why wouldn't you but I, i don't know how you get back to catching your breath and singing those high notes after running around like that. Yeah, that's why in some of the live performances, by the time he gets to the high notes at the end of the song, he's like barely able to do it. He's just so out of breath. But uh, it's pretty cool. And then at the end of those SNL one, he starts biting his thumb, which ha- I think is a, he says a reference to the fact that like some executives didn't want him to play this song because of the whole thing with the Catholic Church. They thought it was too risque, but he did it anyway. So then he's doing a little, which I guess means something. Oh, that's so funny. Well, Colin Quinn always does that all the time. He always uh, he always does that too. He bites his knuckles. It's really funny. Like as a as a joke. Like when he sees me, he's like, oh, "Just girl," and then he like bites. Uh, he does that thing with the thumb or the knuckles. It's 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 really funny. I don't know what it means. I'm gonna have to ask him one day. Yeah, I think it's like an old Italian thing. Speaking of uh, Saturday Night Live people, but here's the other thing too. With, with what we were talking about, um, is that I noticed. Mark Rivera, in the 1982 performance of this, which, of course, is just coming off, it's still fresh, he's doing so much. You know, Mark Rivera is fun to watch yeah. on these live videos. But in this particular one, he was doing so much fooling around. If you notice, he couldn't finish the notes on the song. He was, <laughs> he was, he was winded. <laughs> yeah, because he's, like, lying on his back on the piano, so he's already, it's probably a tough way to play sax, like, because you can't really get your diaphragm fully. But it's definitely cool. Looks cool. Then he gets up. Then he's, like, going over to Billy, and they're doing a little thing with each other. Then he's he's air guitaring on his sax. He's, yeah, but, like, the actual playing of the solo seems, like, secondary to him. Yeah, yeah. It's really funny. He, he goes too far because he can't get out the notes at the end. They both, they all get winded because they're not in shape. And it's funny when I think about, and this is I mean, a strange thing, but I remember when Bon Jovi was, you know, with the Living on a Prayer tour, I think if you watch the Living on a Prayer video, it shows John Bon Jovi working out before the show, like not working out at a gym, but doing push-ups and, you know, kind of getting in shape and you're like, what an asshole. And then if you've ever been in a, a band, which which I have, you realize you, you, you just don't think. 
how much effort it takes to run around and sing and be alive for a show that, uh, you know, again, I made an entire movie about the band The Cars. With the joke was that they sucked live in concert. Why did they suck in concert? Nobody knows. Their songs were good. They just don't move around. Moving around takes a lot of energy, and I'm pretty positive that mostly just because of the time that it was, band members that are just doing drugs and drinking are not thinking about working out as a helpful way to get through a song. Billy Joel probably would have been in much better shape now if he was working out when he was doing all this stuff. You just didn't think of it back then, so everybody was winded <laughs> after one song. Yeah, that's why the guys who still sustain their long careers are guys like Mick Jagger, who always were seemingly working out or running around and staying active, and Bon Jovi and Steven Tyler. Maybe it's just the heroin, I don't know, but they seem <laughs> like they're pretty fit. Well, it's like I said, I, I never thought about I thought he was just showing off kind of working out Bon Jovi, and, that, and then you think about it, and you're like, you know what, that's a good idea. He probably has to be in shape, because I... That that's that yeah you got to be in shape to put together a two hour show it's tough yeah, and that's why he he looks like he's forty still so good for him <laughs> oh John Bon Jovi I thought yeah. you talking about Billy Joel and I'm like ah that's hilarious <laughs> Alana <laughs> did you see last night he dyed his hair black he's trying to pass himself off as a <laughs> Wait, forty about year old man okay <laughs> you know what's also uh, strange we're well, not strange at all um, interestingly. Billy Joel played this song at Farm Aid, which was one. You know, I was thinking about this. Billy Joel was not asked to be in Live Aid, which was a big deal in 1985, you know, for somebody like me, the perfect age, when they had all the, you know, bands in the world trying to make a difference in one night. You know, it was in, if you know anything about Live Aid, if you've heard about it, it took place in London and in Philadelphia. One day, and they, it was a big, every musician was there, but not Billy Joel. And I was looking up, I realized Billy Joel wasn't in it. And he was in, and he, of course, he's in We Are the World. We talked about that because of the Cindy Lauper thing and uh, Code of Silence. We were talking about that. But he's not in Live Aid. And I was looking up, there's multiple things that are confusing about that. Number one, he, it was a strange transition period for him. He'd already outdone the Innocent Man Was Over, 1985, you know? So he was in this strange transition where he hadn't put out the bridge yet. He was. He didn't put out an album for three years, so he wasn't as relevant, which doesn't make sense in our minds today. Uh, people, He wasn't on people's minds at that point. And he said, well, I was going to do it, but I couldn't get the band together, and I didn't want to play alone. I don't want to play alone anymore. <laughs> so isn't that, it's nice that he wanted to work with his band, but like, why couldn't he get them together? I don't know. Maybe that did have something to do with the bridge taking three years. Uh, very odd. But the reason I bring it up is because he did do Farm Aid that year, <laughs> which is something John Cougar Mellencamp and uh, Willie, Nelson. Willie Nelson put together. They were doing all these aid things to help, you know, home, uh, hungry and people and farms and stuff. And he performs Only the Good Die Young. First, he does Summer Highland Falls, and then he does Only the Good Die Young with Randy Newman, who. A month before on Saturday Night Live, this is how powerful Saturday Night Live was, at least for me when I was a kid. A month before Billy did Only the Good Die Young, Randy Newman, who I'd never heard of before, did the song Short People. Hate it. Yeah, everybody. Oh, <laughs> right. Well, I think I always thought it was a diss on short people, but clearly it was supposed to be the opposite. But he had so much controversy from that and that. He also had people 
trying to ban that song. I think the uh, senator from Maryland was trying to never get it played on the radio. And then they did it on Saturday Night Live, and it was controversial. And I remember talking about it the next day in junior high on Monday, being like, oh, did you hear Randy Newman did that short people song? And I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I don't understand that. So it confused me. It scared me. I, I was just very confused by music in general. And then it's weird, you know, because obviously they tried to the Catholic Church tried to get this song banned, which made it even that more popular, which is exactly what happened to short people, which right now Randy Newman hates. But when you try to ban a song, it became a huge hit. Yeah, they call it the Streisand effect, which I forget what that's in reference to, but it was some kind of thing where there was like some controversy with Barbara Streisand that no one really cared about. But then she made a big deal about saying that it was not true or something. And then everyone knew about it. So it's the kind of thing where because you bring up how you're offended by something, it actually increases so much more the exposure of everybody to that thing and works completely opposite to what you want to happen. So it was great. The Catholic Church hated this song because they didn't like the message and all that. Although Billy Joel says it's not a song about the Catholic Church. It's a song about lust. It's a guy who wants to get with a Catholic girl. She's not doing anything bad herself. Well, he says there's Jewish guilt. Why can't there be Catholic guilt songs, you know, or, you know, something? And that's what he says. But he also apparently wrote to uh, either Seton Hall University, which is the one that wanted a banner. And so like, he's like, please. He wrote to the archdiocese. That's who it was who banned the song, and he says, please ban more of my songs. Thank you. (laughs) Because apparently, you know, that's what obviously made it even more famous. uh, You know, playing something controversial. A guy like Billy Joel, who's not controversial, uh, as we know from the other songs, this is like an off song for him in many ways. This song is basically like that Seinfeld episode where Elaine tells her coworker not to date George because he's a bad boy, and that makes her want George. So Billy Joel, this song isn't that bad or anything, <laughs> but he got branded as this, you know, satanic guy who's going against the Catholic Church here, and everyone had to have it. Like he was Ozzy Osbourne all of a sudden. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But that that in makes your career sometimes. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is this song, again, we talked about it a few episodes ago on Miami 2017, but after September 11th, this was the Billy Joel song that Clear Channel Radio banned from being played on the radio because of its message of dying young, but not Miami 2017. So this song is always getting banned. Well, good. he probably loves every minute of it even to this day, you know, because it is a rock and roll. It's true rock and roll in everything about it. The, the rhythm, the melody, the message, and then getting banned, you can't get any more, quote, rock and roll than this one. It's great. Yeah. I, I want to go back to the SNL thing for a minute, because this idea that it was so controversial that he played it on SNL, I, it never really sat well with me, because we've heard of other bands who have done that kind of thing, where they were told not to play a song, and then they did, and then they get banned forever from SNL, because Lorne Michaels hates when that kind of thing happens. And supposedly Billy wasn't supposed to play this, but then he just did. But the very next sketch on that episode, right after this performance, was um, Dan Aykroyd as JFK, Bill Murray as RFK. And they make reference to this song in that sketch. So either they improvised that completely, which maybe they did because that's how good they are at improvising, or they knew he was going to play this and wrote some funny lines about it. All right, Elon. Uh, I'm going to tell you about that. That was my trivia question. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's no big deal. Let's just uh, there. Get this. They're ironically not talking about this song. How is that possible? Okay. 
I'm glad you asked. <laughs> what they're talking about is um, the only reason I knew this was because I sang this song in camp. So I recognized the the lyrics they were doing. It's actually about a Marvin Gaye song called Abraham, Martin, and John. And in the lyrics of this song, and like I said, I only knew it because I sang it in camp in like 1976. The lyrics is, has anybody here seen my old friend John? In this particular verse, because then they go through Abraham and they go, Martin, uh, can you tell me where he's gone? He freed a lot of people, but it seems the good die young. So they were ironically not referring to the Billy Joel song. What? Yes. You'll see a lot of the lines from that sketch in this Marvin Gaye 1969 song called Abraham, Martin, and John. Oh, and I guess, and Martin Luther King is in that sketch too. So it's like Martin is probably that Martin and John is JFK. Yeah, and Bobby's in the verse too. It's just, he's just not in the title of the song. All four of them are in the verses of the song. Oh, that's so weird. Isn't that and, weird? You know, I thought, and the crowd laughs when he says that, and I kind of thought they're probably laughing because they just heard Billy I Joel thought that too, and that's why I was making it my trivia question. <laughs> so uh, it, it's still, even though it's not the trivia question, it's an interesting little tidbit, right? Very interesting, because you would never, ever think that that was not a reference to Billy Joel playing that Like song. I said, I thought that was the gag too, as I was watching it doing this research. Not like I was watching it in 1978. And then I recognized other lyrics from that song that I have. Think about all the songs I don't know. And yet I know this 1969 Marvin Gaye song called Abraham, Martin, and John because I sang it one time in Jewish camp. (laughs) (laughs) And this is not one of his hits either. No. That's why I was like, wait a minute. I think I know what they're doing. And then, of course, when I saw the list of that it was Martin, Abraham, and they kept saying Abraham, Martin, and John. So then I was like, wait a minute. And then I looked up the lyrics, and I thought they also combined. They were talking about Billy Joel. I mean, the odds of doing a sketch immediately after Billy Joel plays Only the Good Die Young and then using Only the Good... Remember, they don't say Only the Good Die They say The Good Die Young. I, I made sure. Yeah, he goes, the good ones, uh, they uh, die young. Yeah, and that's a gag to this uh, reference to this, not this song that we're talking about. Go figure. I wonder if Billy Joel and the band like saw them rehearsing and were like, yo, we really should play the song now. You know, maybe that's interesting. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. That's fascinating. I would love to know that. Yeah, that's a good question for Billy whenever we meet him. Hey, remember also that this was the episode that Chevy Chase and Bill Murray got into the skirmish. So maybe that's why Lauren Michaels wasn't thinking about him playing the song. You know, like maybe he had other things he was worried about that day and just forgot about it and invited him back multiple times. Unlike Elvis Costello, who was completely banned. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of funny. I was watching, so I know that that skirmish happened like right before they played Only the Good Die Young. And so I was looking at Bill Murray's face then in the next sketch to see if he had like any like black eye or anything like that but there's no apparent physical damage no it's been uh, talked about and talked about and apparently it's much more overrated than what actually happened so that's interesting that marvin gay had this phrase in his song because i was looking up the origin of the phrase only the good die young because it's so common of a phrase now but i was like is that because of this song or was it always like an idiom that everyone knew apparently the basic phrase dates all the way back to the year 445 bce oh my when it's from an ancient proverb, and it's recorded by the Greek historian Herodotus, 
And this is his oh, version he, he of it. He was good. He was he, good. One of my favorite Greek historic top ten at least. <laughs> On the Christopher Bonanos list of Greek historians, <laughs> you'd be surprised how low he has Herodotus. It is really crazy. And what's his name? Hippopotamus, you say? <laughs> no, that's the oh, Hippocratic he Oath. He's the doctor guy. <laughs> so his his version of the phrase is whom the gods love dies young. Interesting. Well, yeah. I'm. Oh, God. See, I'm going to live to be very old. I know this now. Um, <laughs> the gods hate me. <laughs> yeah. They want you to suffer longer. Clearly. I figured that out a long time ago. It's very... So, I don't know how Billy Joel came up with this lyric. I know, I know you said the phrase had been around, I guess, but... It certainly is terrific. I mean, it's really, uh, it's guts, it's gutsy, it's cool. Again, rock and roll. Yeah, I think these are his his best lyrics. I think they're all they're so clever and perfect. Every single line. I mean, there's so many classic. You think of all the Billy Joel songs that people know, and generally they might know the chorus of the song, but everyone knows many of the verses of this song. You know, like even the phrase "I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints" is probably like his most tattooed lyric. You could picture so many 22-year-old girls with that tattooed on them somewhere. Yeah, that, you're absolutely right, and let alone the, the even the opening lyric. And also, now we all know, and we're, I don't think we're revealing it like in Moving Out, but the girl he was referring to, Virginia, is an actual girl named Virginia Callahan. And have you seen the photo of her? The school photo? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't look too close. Oh, isn't that terrific? No, I'm just saying that there. Oh, okay. There's a photo of the actual girl. You'll probably put it up on Instagram. She's. A, you can see how he would be in love with her. She's a little cutie pie, and uh, I totally get it. But it's. Uh, I. I didn't know. I didn't know it was about an actual girl. I just assumed he made up a name that sounded good, and I just love when it's actually about somebody real. And we have all lusted after somebody in elementary school. It's just so funny to you know to write something about somebody from from your past like that and then and then she didn't even know it was about her didn't isn't the story like she saw him in concert didn't even know who it was and like oh i remember that guy from element like she she had no idea he existed which is the classic story <laughs> she's like oh that's my name that's strange <laughs> i wonder who that's about i went to school that's with my that social guy. security number yeah. what's going on here <laughs> Yeah, it's cool when you find out who it's actually about. And I've been looking her up, you know, just to see, like, wait, is she still alive? Is she around? There seems to be no other information that's kind of annoying. (laughs) Yeah, I wish we could find her, get her on as a guest here. That'd be pretty cool. I know, I know, right? Wouldn't that be terrific? It's like, remember the last guy from Anthony's song, he died, so we didn't get him in time. And I'm pretty sure he would have done the show. (laughs) Yeah, so we couldn't get that guy because he died. We uh, we tried to get uh, the guy from Leningrad. Right. Victor, he he is a he's a listener, he but he said uninterested. no. To, yeah, <laughs> uninterested. So we'll get one of these people one day. <laughs> so the origin of the song is very interesting. Billy Joel wrote it while he was on tour opening for the Beach Boys. That's fascinating. He was in a hotel in Knoxville, Tennessee, that happened to have a piano in his room, which he didn't expect, and he wrote this song. And as is famous now, it was originally a reggae song. And here we are again. Where <laughs> Liberty DeVito, the asshole that he is, got so angry at Billy Joel, he threw his drumsticks at him again and say this is bullshit. Now, I know I've been hard on Liberty DeVito because I just don't understand as an employee how you're doing this to your boss. I'm looking at it that way. Now, he was completely right about this one, but this is probably the reason why he's looking for song credit money. 
But it's not very clearly had the song already written. They just changed the way it was played. You can't, you can make a case for it, but it's not right. And again, this is his boss, and that's the thing. But good move. However, apparently, later on, lately, Liberty DeVito has said it was actually Paul Simon who suggested changing it. Oh, yeah. What's the story behind that? I don't know. I just read it in Liberty's book. He said it was actually Paul Simon who suggested making the change. And uh, Phil Ramone and Liberty came up with an alternate rhythm. I mean... I guess that's why Liberty thinks he should be credited with stuff. Yes, did they come up with the ribbon? Yes, they did. But again, that's both of their jobs as Billy Joel employees. Yeah, and also when you listen to the to the um, demo version, which was the reggae version, it's clear all the lyrics are there. The song basically sounds the same. The main difference really is that the choruses got so reggae that they became slow and lost all the momentum of the song. Yeah, when you listen to that record... It's, a, it's like you can tell the, in the demo, it doesn't know what it wants to be. The song doesn't know what it wants to be. It's in so many different directions. It's so all over the place. And that is why Phil Ramone should be heralded as a George Martin of his day, which maybe he is. But it's very obvious that a producer was completely necessary. And then you see in that demo, it's great. Billy goes, big question mark here because I don't like this part. And, and that's yeah I love that that's the best part so funny and that isn't that what makes finally a reason why this My Lives album is great but it should be all songs like that yeah not just songs off the albums we can get anywhere that's why we get upset about it sometimes because yeah isn't that great big question mark here because I don't like this part and only the good die that's right I say question mark here because I don't like this part. Ah, you love in an absolute classic brilliant song seeing the process. I know I mentioned it multiple times but it's great. Yeah, and, and the part he's talking about is just like the instrumental break, the sax solo. So um, he, even though the, he says he doesn't like the part, he doesn't change it in the final version besides adding that sax. It's not like he just didn't like the lyrics or something. It's just a part of the song that uh, ended up being a great part of the song. What I can't figure out also is why they say you, you were counting on your rotary. He's obviously talking about a rotary phone. I don't <laughs> understand what that's what i thought the lyrics were for years <laughs> i didn't know what a rosary was so I, <laughs> that's so funny why, why did virginia have such an old-fashioned phone man? <laughs> well it wasn't old-fashioned then though she should have been cutting edge with the, the touch tone <laughs> i up until yesterday i thought it was rotary <laughs> unbelievable yeah well you know when you you have a song in your mind uh, the way it, what, what was it oh, it's still rock and roll to me right I, I i still was like wait a minute that's not the lyric i don't remember what it was that i couldn't believe yeah and then uh, stand up tartine in la uh, that's so funny that you said that because uh right when we did my lives and they and the the, the paul rudd thing I went to a restaurant. I was meant to tell you, I went to a restaurant. I was going to talk about this in the rap. I went to a restaurant called Tartine on Wednesday. <laughs> and that's all. And I was trying to tell my friend who I was with, I'm like, yeah, you know, the funny. And he, he just was not getting it. 
You should have told the Major D. Like, is this named after the Billy Joel song? <laughs> well, yeah, the, the Major D barely spoke English, so it would have been hilarious. Like, because then you're explaining a song that's in a parody of a song. Like, <laughs> Billy <what>? Joel. <laughs> like, yeah, the guy from Cette Toi, you know. <laughs> this song was captured on only the third take. Only the third take. Yeah. <laughs> this version and we were always uh fat. we were we talk about that sometimes how you know we call him one take billy joel right because he's he, it's really you know he's not the type of guy that, it's not like steely dan where they're in there for days and years or you know and putting stuff together no he captures it with the band on the take i don't think they do a lot of stuff in the you know with the uh, buttons and whistles and stuff i think they and, you know, that was Phil Ramone's doing. Let's bring the band in and record it like a band. Yeah, right. He was like, this is your live band. That we want to capture that live rock and roll energy. So, yeah, third take makes total sense. This guy is the Krusty the Clown of recording artists. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> right, as we played right that time. Like, uh, number one. <laughs> Listen, kid. But, yeah, th- and this, you know, this is a great example of Phil Ramone coming in and saying, we need the we need the we want we want your band and we want to record the music like this is what we want and this is the first example this is exactly the song that he was saying after turnstiles like no bring in the band let's do this this is the song of where you, like you just said you want that energy this is the one yeah right and when he, when he plays it live it's got that same energy that they capture in the studio there's no difference here but between studio version or live version really aside from that this yeah. has a fade out and in live they they end it abruptly i also think the the placement on the album is very interesting and perfect for this song because it comes right after vienna which is like a soulful kind of slower piano song and it ends with like a soft piano and then this song starts with that piano intro and you think oh here's another soft soulful piano song and then the drums come in and the song has got killer energy all the way through that never lets up is this on the second side of the album yeah like if you were looking at an album so so it's opens with stranger opens with vienna on the first side i don't know this is number six on the album i'm not sure i'm not a good sides guy you have to judge it that way because back then that is you know that's the way you're thinking uh, no, Vienna opens the second side. But the fact that this comes right after Vienna, like you have this soft coda on piano in Vienna, and then a soft piano beginning to this song, and then all of a sudden, bam. So wait, what what uh, song follows this? She's Always a Woman. Oh, that's so odd. And what's after that? Get it right the first time. That's That's a very strange idea for the second side, to open soft, hit it hard. Soft again, a little medium. That's a very strange placement. I would have, I guess that's the, I, this song is, you know, now that you're saying it, I, this song is placed very oddly. Just like you said, it's very strange to open with Vienna and then go into this song. I think I would have rather put this on the first side. Well, yeah, I guess it is kind of weird because it's like, it is like up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah, you could have, end, what, is, what ends the first side of The Stranger? Uh, it's a song I haven't heard of this one. It's called Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. Oh, well, goddamn. Yeah, that's a pretty good. Well, you know what? That's I bet you that was a little bit of the issue. That's such a long song. Oh, that is a good ending to the first side. Goddamn. And then side two ends with everybody has a dream. So they both end with like big epic long songs. Yeah, but yeah, that's the thing. You know, you couldn't open the second side with only the good die young because and they were probably thinking about this because 
then you're saying, and now this side is going to be complete rock and roll, but it's not. So I guess you have to open with one of the slower songs and mix it up and say this out. This is going to be a mixed up side, because if you open with this song, you're going to expect the whole second side to be bum bum bum. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I, it's it, you know it's maybe it's one of those songs that they were probably like, this doesn't fit on the album even though it completely does, but we don't know where to put it. Because it, it really is a strange placement. Because you could open an album with this, but moving out is too perfect. You could almost put it before scenes from an Italian restaurant because it can almost be like an early part of Brenda and Eddie's story. Yeah, what's before scenes from an Italian restaurant? How does First Side go? It goes moving out, The Stranger. Just the way you are. What's number? Just the way you are, perfect, yeah. Then scenes. Then what? Oh, so it's only four songs on side one yeah. because scenes are so long. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think it, yeah, I'll tell you, if if they didn't make albums back then, I think you're right. This would have gone before scenes from an Italian restaurant because it would fit better. But, you know, they have limited space on albums back then and scenes from an Italian restaurant is so long, they probably just couldn't fit it on the album and probably had no choice. Yeah, side one was already about 21 minutes. So I guess it was yeah. kind of pushing the limit there. No, that was a thing back then, because if you put on too much, then the quality of the sound gets bad. Mm -hmm. Because you're right. This should have gone before scenes from an Italian restaurant. It would have been a good follow-up to Just the Way You Are. But Just the Way You Are needs to be on that first. That's a very good, that's a perfect album side, side one. This is a good question when we get Billy Joel on the show also, which is the order of songs on some albums. Like, what what was the thought process that went into that? Yeah, we talk about that a lot. And this is uh, interesting once again. And of course, if you're talking about a classic album like the stranger then you do want to delve into the placement of the songs especially like i said when you're talking you know nowadays it's different but on an album which was you know you you had to physically get up and flip it over to listen to the second side you understand uh, on the eight track tape it splits up scenes from an italian restaurant you can't hear the whole song and it goes into the track two or three uh, it splits it's it the eight-track tape would split up songs, not That's just crazy. Billy Joel. Everybody, yeah, it's the stupidest thing that ever happened. The eight-track tape, the, and the most hilarious. <laughs> I only know it as a punchline. When someone says "make something sound uh, old-fashioned," they reference eight tracks. We will return to Billy Joel A to Z after these commercial messages. Almost three million people have taken Billy Joel's album, The Stranger, home with them. What are you waiting for? I love you just the way you are. The Stranger, the one Billy Joel album you can't afford to miss out on. Every song on it is a classic. Not to mention super songs like Just the Way You Are, Moving Out, and his newest hit, Only the Good Die Young. Billy Joel album on Columbia Records and Tapes. You ought to know by now. Alon, this is where you shine. <laughs> now this one, uh, I don't think he's ever played live. I'm kidding. What are the stats on playing this live? It's got to be not to be believed, right? Oh, no, I'm going to take a guess here like you do. Yeah, you guess. Uh, as, yeah. as the number played song, I'm going to say... I'm going to say this might be the number two played song 
of all time. I'm going to go there. You're very, very close. This is number three. Oh, yes. I was thinking Seeds of Italian Restaurant is probably number one. And uh, maybe that might have been like, well, we'll talk about that. Well, that and Piano Man, I think, are the top two. Oh, right, right, right. So uh, so this is number three. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It has been played, according to setlist.fm, 741 times. Wow. And unlike some other big songs that we've done recently, there's no point in time when he completely took it out for a tour. This was always, there were certain shows here and there where he didn't play it. But basically, this was always played across his entire career from 1978 onward. What a great song. Just like you said, now I'm thinking that piano opening is so great. It really is special, the piano opening, and then just go into rock and roll. It's a, just the, the drum beat after that. It's And it never slows down. And, and even when you think, yeah, and even when you think like, okay, they're about to go into the chorus like that first time. No, it goes into another fast verse. Like there, there's a lot of like, it always keeps you guessing. You're never, you're always kind of on edge with the song because it keeps rolling, rolling, rolling. And then I think it hits its peak at the come out, come out, come out. It's almost like he can't even, you know, he's like so built up with energy that he's like sputtering out the lyrics at that point. I am not a sax person guy. I don't care for sax solos and songs. I think they're stupid, but this one is, is fantastic. It, like you said, it keeps up the, a sax solo, keeping up the energy. This is, it's, it's fantastic. Right, it's concise. It doesn't go too far. It just does exactly what it has to do in that fill. So it's just it's just a, a perfect moment in the song. Everything about the song is great. There's no real moment at all that you could say, well, that wasn't, you know, like moving out. Maybe you say, oh, I don't like the special effects or the ack, ack, ack. Right. Bananos had nothing to say about this song. Nope. No, he just uh, said it was hilarious, which is even funnier. Yeah. And it is. And it's a gutsy song to write back then, too. You know, anytime you use Catholic, you Catholic schoolgirls, come out i mean it's i i didn't know what the hell he was talking about really i just thought they meant i i thought they were stuck in their parents house and they couldn't i didn't know he was talking about sex yeah you know when i heard it i just thought like i thought it was like can virginia come out to play and and she was just locked in her house with her parents you know like she's like oh virginia is at catholic school today she cannot come out you're like what do they start too late yeah i didn't understand at all and now it's even you know what's better than a song that has uh, extra meaning as you grow up yeah, because it's like clean enough for kids to listen to on Kids Bop or whatever. <laughs> it's like, it's also fun for the adults. Yeah, it is really one of those songs where the melody is just just as good. And then when you get older, you can understand the lyrics better. Really terrific. Yeah. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Billy Joel, for writing this song. This is usually the trivia thing. I've already given my trivia. I don't think it's necessary to get another one because it was already interesting as a trivia question, technically. So I'll just ask you if you have one for me today. I tell you what, since you burned your trivia question, because I ruined it. You did not ruin it. (laughs) It just came up earlier. Okay. What California funk rock band that would become massively popular in the 90s released a song in 1985 called Catholic schoolgirls rule. Well, I'm going to say Red Hot Chili Peppers. That is correct. Wow. I just, I didn't, I've never heard of that song. I didn't know, but the way you worded it was absolutely perfect for me to guess Red Hot Chili Peppers. I even had a hint for you if that wasn't enough. My hint. You were going to do a Simpsons? No, no, but it oh. the per- <laughs> perfect, even more perfect than that, the hint was going to be the bass player for this band was in Back to the Future 2 and 3 as Needles. Oh, Flea? Yeah, is Needles? Flea. Oh, I didn't. Needles. I always wondered who Needles was. He always looked so familiar, and I couldn't figure out who it was. Yeah. 
How's it hanging, McFly? Hey, Needles. Well, Elon, uh, I believe as we've spoken about, when they have these kind of massive songs, there's a lot of pressure. English, yes! To put out a parody for Weird Elon, what do you have for us today? And will it rise to the challenge? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I hope so. Uh, so our parody of Only the Good Die Young is called... <laughs> Order the Egg Foo Young. Oh, <laughs> Awesome. I think we were talking about that the other day, and you said it as a joke, and I'm like, please do that, because it's just so stupid. <laughs> we, were, were we talking about uh, in Only a Man, or were we talking about it after we stopped recording? I think we were talking about it after we stopped recording. Well, I don't oh. know. We'll see if it shows up. In, if you guys heard it in the episode like two days ago, you'll know that we talked about it. Yeah, I can't remember. So, oh, this is great. Okay. See, now this is a true Weird Al-like parody that he would do so i'm very much looking forward to this because it's just ridiculous <laughs> nobody even knows what egg foo young is anymore <laughs> it's, it's brilliant <laughs> yeah it's about chinese food from the 40s that's the first thing <laughs> come out virginia let's get chinese i know a place near here han dynasty <laughs> unlike billy joel there's no msg so order whatever you want <laughs> Well, they showed you a menu and told you to choose. You can have egg drop or wonton soup, chicken lo mein and dumplings too. If you like spicy, try Szechuan. Or you can order the egg foo young. That's what I said. Order the egg foo young. Order the egg foo young. Trying to eat white rice with chopsticks is a complication. But you won't use a fork. You think you look like a dork. Oh, 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 I'm full, I'm full, I'm full, Virginia moans. I feel more dense than day-old scones. But we'll be hungry again by the time we get home. We can bring back some chow fun. Or we can order more egg foo young. Telling your baby. <laughs> Order more egg foo young. Order more egg foo young. Order more egg. <laughs> Order more egg foo young. If you're continuing. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> Alon, that was, without a doubt, your best parody ever. You saved it up for a quality song. Not only did you put in the references that we love, like scones and stuff, you also put in your Han Dynasty, which you're obsessed with, which is your staple joke on stage. I loved this parody. It was brilliant. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> this was really the best one. You, you put it all together as if all of Billy Joel Agency had come together, and this was the one. Now, I don't think you should do any more parodies. <laughs> the end. <laughs> no, that was great. That was great. Oh, my God. Oh, the egg for young. It's so stupid and brilliant. And you did my favorite thing where you, thank God, ended with only the egg for young and didn't go a different direction, which you know I hate. Twist ending. He actually ordered some chicken lo mein. I would have been so upset by that. I would have been so upset. <laughs> it was great. Well done. Congratulations. Yay. I'm happy. I'm happy. And now I'm really craving Chinese food. Me too. Billy, let's get some pizza. He's like, how about some Chinese food? Even better. <laughs> That's at the end of the duet for New York State of Mind. 
Yeah, I didn't listen to that I, version. I played it at the end of New York State of Mind. I didn't play Joel A to Z. No, you don't remember? Uh, well, you didn't li- don't you listen to we- what I give you to check? To <laughs> 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 that is the parody of Billy Joel and Barbara Streisand at the very end of New York State of Mind. She goes, Billy, let's get some pizza. She's putting on that New York voice. You know, she doesn't talk like that anymore. He's like, how about some Chinese? Even better. You know what it sounds like you're doing right now? It sounds like you're doing Paul Lind and Sylvester Stallone. Why don't we get some pizza? Oh, how about we get some Chinese? Even better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, that was Only the Good Die Young. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at BillyJoelA2Z and give us some feedback. Are you excited that this is our longest episode ever? I am. Have you ever heard the song Abraham, Martin, and John? Or is Dave making that up? I'm not making it up. I don't know. Would you prefer the reggae version of this song? Oh, I would. Should we try to get Virginia on the show? Absolutely. Do you think Billy Joel made the right choice by missing his 10-year reunion? That was a mistake, I think. Big time. Do you want to see Billy Joel in 2022 run around during this song in concert? He might die. <laughs> he lost weight. He's in good shape now. And are you going to go get some Chinese food right now and maybe even order the Egg Foo Young? Even better. Paul <laughs> <laughs> Lind? What are you doing here? <laughs> I don't know. Just killing some time. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Jessica. And this is Billy Joel to Z. That was sly. I know. <laughs> you got a nice white dress and a party on your confirmation. You got a brand new soul. Mm, and a cross of gold. But Virginia, they didn't give you quite enough information. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints The sinners are much more fun You know that only the good die young